This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Illinois 17th District Congresswoman Sherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Representative Sherry Bustos next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. The National Crop Insurance Services provide individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The fall 2016 elections were not favorable for Democrats in Midwestern districts. In contrast to that trend, Illinois 17th District U.S. Representative Sherry Bustos won a third term with a wide margin. Now, she's assumed responsibility to bring the party back to rural America. Well, there's a lot of work that we need to do as Democrats, um, you know, and I, I know very well that your listenership is, uh, are there Democrats listening to this and Republicans and independents and people who don't identify with any party, but I think that when it all is, is said and done, we're human beings, and when we elect people to represent us, whether it be in our state houses or in Washington, D.C., uh, they they want to make sure that we're listening to them, and as a result of listening to them, that we write and pass legislation that is reflective of what needs to be done. Um, so in in this role that I have, I'm um, I, I'm the only Midwesterner sitting around the Democratic House leadership, um, elected leadership in in Washington, and um, you know I, I mean I think we come to. Um, our decisions uh, based on what exactly what I just said. Um, you know, we know that we were put on this earth with two ears and one mouth, and, and um, I think we were we were designed to use those proportionately, and that's what I try to do. Uh, what, what I what I'm working on now is talking with not just my colleagues, but people who are running for for Congress in various offices about making sure that we don't just show up in towns of fifty thousand or more, but we go to towns that might just have a hundred or two hundred people, and we listen to them. And um, the, the way I do that specifically is, is I do a couple things that can be, there's certainly no, uh, you know, science-based approach to it uh, by any means, but on Saturdays I, we do something um, that we call Supermarket Saturday, just walk up and down the aisles of the grocery store and talk to people. Um, you know, if they're not rushing through with their cart and need to get, get home to their, their kids or uh, to a ball game, um, you know, we, we stop them in the cornflake aisle and we just we say, you know, what do you, what do you want me to know before I fly back out to Washington? And, um, you know, it's unscripted. It's, uh, it's just top of mind for people. And uh, we use that to, to figure out what we're going to be focusing on out here in Washington. And uh, one other thing I do is we, we call it Sherry on Shift, which is nothing more than me job shadowing people. And uh, standing shoulder to shoulder, whether it be with a welder, a, a car repairman, a, a forklift driver, a cart processor, um, UPS driver, whatever it is. And, and we have a nice conversation about how they're supporting their families, their challenges, whether they were able to buy a new uh, pickup truck in the last 10 years, whether they were able to take their families on vacation. And it's amazing what you learn 
when you just have these um, one-on-one conversations with people and what you can do with that uh, legislatively. Is it safe to say the party then was out of touch with a rural voter? Well, I, I think what's happened is, um, as Democrats, we have uh, not always shown up in some of the more rural areas that um, may, maybe there was a belief that that was Republican territory. And um, so what ended up happening was, um, you know, over the last, since um, after President Obama was elected, we've lost more, Democrats have lost more than a 1,000 seats um, in state legislatures all over the country. We've We've lost... Um, uh, our, the governor's mansions, we've lost uh, the uh, um, many seats in the House and the U.S. House of Representatives. And, you know, that's, that's a reflection of, of something's, something's not right there. So we're, we're doing a deep dive on that, and, and I'm actually working with a, a political science professor out of my congressional district, a guy named Robin Johnson, who teaches at Monmouth College. And um, we're we're talking to more than seventy uh, Democratic lawmakers um, or people who had served in office or ran for office in in uh, rural areas and, and figuring out w- what are they doing to be successful. And then we're we're taking that, writing up a report, and we're sharing that with some of our colleagues and other people running. Uh, to um, and, and here's here's the long and short of it. If, if I were to synthesize everything that we've learned from this, it's this: it's show up, listen, and um, get something done. And uh, and I think if we we start doing that and and focusing on uh, really five things, and that's uh, jobs, jobs, education, jobs, and jobs. And and if those things, if we get those in order, everything else seems to fall in place. Let's talk about health care for a moment. Some would suggest the Obama health care plan won't work. Others would suggest the Trump health care plan won't work. Uh, clearly something needs to be done. The question is what, and can it be done in short order, or does this drag on in front of an 18 election? Well, as the president um, uh, famously has said, uh, health care is a complicated thing, and um, it is. It's, it's what I did for a living before I came here to Congress. Um, and what we do know is that before the Affordable Care Act passed, that uh, we as a nation were on an unsustainable path in our uh, health care delivery system. Uh, the costs were rising at double-digit rates year after year. Uh, the, the, we had record numbers of bankruptcies uh, that, had been, that were being filed by families who couldn't afford to pay their health care bills. We had people who were knocked off their insurance once they would hit uh, their cap. We had people with pre-existing conditions who couldn't even get health care insurance. We had too many people getting their, their primary care out of emergency rooms, which is the most expensive way to deliver health care. Oh, and on top of it, we had 50 million uninsured Americans at that time. You know, and the list goes on and on. So the, the fact that uh, the Congress undertook reforming health care was an exercise worth going through. And the passage of the Affordable Care Act, while a flawed bill, was at least a step in the right direction. And, and I don't have to go through the, the litany of things that, that people like uh, because I, I think it's, it's clear that when your kid who is working in a company doesn't have health insurance and can stay on, on your parents' health care up to age 26, that was pretty good. And when we could get preventive care uh, at no cost, which was in the end a savings to the, the, to the health care system, all, all that's good. However, uh, the, the cost of health care is still too high. And the answer is not passing this bill that actually did pass the House and had it not been for John McCain would have passed the, the Senate, it was a terrible approach. 
because we would go back to the days where um, we would have, at, at that, as a result of those pieces of legislation, we would have had more than 20 million people knocked off their health care. Um, in my state, uh, the state of Illinois, we would have lost 65,000 health care jobs, and, and you can uh, multiply that by states all over the country. Uh, there would be about 700 rural hospitals that would have closed, um, and not to mention the, the um, you know people with pre-existing conditions just not knowing where to turn because uh, healthcare would have been so unaffordable. So uh, I, that's somewhat of a long answer to saying that let's fix what's broken. The price of prescription drugs were way too high. We can start by negotiating the price of prescription drugs uh, in Medicare, which is something the VA, the Veterans Administration, does that we do not. We can also uh, address in a comprehensive and bipartisan way the out-of-pocket costs for families on their premiums and their co-pays and deductibles. Uh, part of that is by making sure that we have um, healthy insurance among the insurance companies and make sure that we don't have what's called the term now is Bayer counties, B-A-R-E, in other words, counties that don't have any um, health insurance provided there. And so we've got to make sure that the competition among um, health insurance companies is there as well. In tax reform, agriculture would benefit. There is thought of eliminating the estate tax, but Mr. Schumer in the Senate suggesting that that's only a benefit for the elite and for the wealthy. How do you see tax reform and knowing that health care reform and tax reform could help agriculture's budget? These things are related. Yeah, they absolutely are related, and uh, you know the, that's the uh, the issue that we're facing in Washington with tax reform is what comes first. You were you know you 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 mentioned agriculture, but the other thing is we need a transportation bill, and uh, that the the thought on um, in, in some corners here is that we can't get a transportation bill um, until we get tax reform. And while there's bipartisan effort to sit down and, down and talk about what tax reform is going to look like, um, I, I wish I could shed a little more light on this for you, Jeff, but, but nothing has been presented, even at the leadership level, as far as what's coming out of those meetings. I'm actually bringing the lead Democrat, Congressman Richie Neal, out of uh, Massachusetts into my congressional district here in the next week or so, and I'm bringing together small business owners and farmers and folks who can give him firsthand feedback on what they want to see negotiated from the lead Democrat sitting down at, at the Ways and Means level. There's a lot of talk about what different groups and uh, people want in that. We, we certainly know that for our farm families, the estate tax always comes up, and, uh, but, but where that will end up, I can't tell you. Let's take another step and talk about the president, presidential election. Both Ms. Clinton and Mr. Trump were opposed to trade. And there are voters who are supporters of factories, who are certainly skeptical of trade agreements. And there's agriculture that is highly dependent upon trade agreements. Do you see a shift in this administration to either protectionist or isolationist? And, and how important is this trade measure to your district, to the nation? Well, uh, trade is one of the... the toughest issues that uh, members of Congress face, no matter what congressional district they're in. I represent the 17th District of Illinois. It's, it starts in central Illinois and covers the entire northwest corner. We have the world headquarters for John Deere in the congressional district I serve. We have the birthplace of Caterpillar and a major presence for Caterpillar, the major earth-moving equipment company. And we also have 27 million acres of farmland. So from that perspective, it is extremely important to make sure that we have 
trade where they're uh, you know we can we can get our uh, products to market and the the John Deere combines and tractors and the you know the bulldozers and all of that to to sell those to other countries. However, in my congressional district, we have it's one of the heaviest organized labor districts in the country as well. We have 90,000 labor households, and there are many people from that uh, sector who are very concerned about job loss. So it is actually weighing all of that together and figuring out how do we make sure that companies like uh, John Deere and Caterpillar and our family farmers can be successful, but at the same time our workers um, do not lose their jobs. Um, We've seen unbelievable outsourcing in my congressional district as well. Companies like Maytag, uh, that is a familiar product to so many people. But smaller companies like uh, Sensata that makes automotive sensors and a company called Robert Shaw that makes these uh, little water valves, those are just three examples in one congressional district in the last um, uh, several years that have sent all of their jobs over to Mexico or China. So, um, again, that is a a more complicated uh, um, way of of saying to you it's a tough it's a tough issue. And in the end, we have to make sure that we're looking out for ag and for business. At the same time, we're protecting our own workers. So that that's the challenge that we have ahead of us. Lots of issues to talk about. I want to move to agriculture now if we can. A listening session for the Farm Bill at the Farm Progress Show, but you had some listening sessions of your own, a better deal for the heartland. What did farmers tell you that they want from this two policy that some say could be written in this season? Well, the, the first thing out of any of our uh, uh, farmers' mouths was uh, crop insurance. Um, they, uh, I liked at the listening session the gentleman who stood up and he said, I have six words for you. Don't screw it up, exclamation point. <laughs> exclamation point meaning two, two words there. That added up to six. But his point and so many other um, of our, our farmers just want to make sure that when you're at the mercy of Mother Nature every day of your career, we've got to make sure that we have a crop insurance program that is going to uh, be that safety net that it's designed to be. So I can't imagine too many folks on the Agriculture Committee that doesn't understand that. So I, I would say that is, is number one that we heard during the at the Farm Progress show during the the three-hour listening session we did, but when I visited, I visited seven different farms when I was at home. And the other thing that is is an issue that I, I don't know if I'm paying closer attention to it now or if it has emerged as a newer issue, but I didn't hear it during the negotiation of our last farm bill, but that was about younger farmers and access to capital and how they can get started. And if they don't come from a long line of farmers and don't inherit, um, you know, their moms and dads and or grandma and grandpa's farm, um, how they can get started. There seems to be a lot more interest in agriculture these days from younger people, and I think that's encouraging, but we also have to make sure that we have policies in place that help them. The vaccine bank uh, came up from numerous people, uh, you know, mostly in the cattle business or the hog business. You know, no no real surprises from people, and uh, just, just making sure that we're doing right by our, you know, our family farmers and in the agriculture business. With regard to crop insurance, the bigger fight may be when it comes, uh, when the farm bill comes to the House floor, a number would like to means test or find cuts to crop insurance in some way. Well, we, we've had this struggle before. It was about two years ago right now um, when the leadership change was happening in the House when John Boehner had made the decision to step down and uh, for a while, it looked like it was going to be Kevin McCarthy that was going to step in in the speaker's 
physician, and then it ended up being Paul Ryan. But right during all of that transition, there was an attempt actually to do great harm to the crop insurance program. And so literally there were those of us who represent rural districts that said, well, we are not going to sign off on this bill that was a, a critical bill to pass if it was going to harm crop insurance. And we literally held out until we had a written agreement from the leadership uh, that um, crop insurance would stay intact um, with no cuts. So we, we've got a large number of members of Congress who, uh, who understand to our core the importance of a, a healthy crop insurance program. So what I would say to you, I'm, I'm one vote out of 435 in the U.S. House of Representatives, but I will fight for our growers and our family farmers to make sure that we have a good crop insurance program for them. You also serve, as you suggested, on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. The president would like to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure. The question is, where? Well, I, I happen to be on the same page as the president on this one. Um, we, we absolutely need a, uh, a at least a trillion-dollar transportation bill. Um, we, if, if we just look at our locks and dam system that are so important to, to our, our farm families and being able to get the, their commodities to market, um, that has $60 billion in backlog needs, and that's just our locks and dam system. And I can tell you when, um, you know, I represent a district where the entire western border of my congressional district and, of course, the, the entire state of Illinois is the Mississippi River, um, you understand the importance of something like that. You also understand uh, the importance of bridges that cross that river and, and so many more throughout our country. Uh, but we've got to think um, not only uh, to, uh, about getting our infrastructure in a good place from, uh, you know, repairing what's broken right now, but even thinking bigger than that. Um, you know, what is the transportation of the future? Uh, you know, how is that going to look as far as, um, yeah, I represent a, a rural area, but in, in cities like Chicago or, or L.A. or New York, the, the traffic is, is unbelievably horrible, and uh, it, it's, it's somewhat painful to even go into these big cities because you know you're going to be stuck in traffic. Now, how are we going to address, address that, and how are we going to stay competitive globally in, unless we do have a major investment in our infrastructure? Um, uh, how are we going to, to pay for that? That is, the, of course, the, um, the big question. The president is talking about public-private partnerships. My concern there is um, where are we going to find uh, private investment in rural roadways? Because it's not like you can put up a, a tollway because we just don't have the traffic to get that return for who's ever going to invest in that from a private sector perspective. There is a proposal to bring home corporate profits. We now have about $2 trillion in corporate profits sitting overseas with businesses having no incentive to bring that home. The idea is that that would come home, go into an infrastructure bank, and it would get us about six years' worth of robust funding. Uh, there's also ways to look at uh, funding for our airports and our ports and other mechanisms that are out there. But, it, it, but in the end, we have to make sure that we can come together and, and agree the best way to do that. Congresswoman Bustos, we want to thank you very much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have an open forum. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you having me on. And um, I, I think more than anything, what I'm hearing from people when I go home is this desire that um, when members of Congress go back out to Washington, that we find a way to work together. And um, that has been a priority of mine since I've been elected. And, and I know you hear members of Congress talk about that. I think in the end, we've got to look at the performance of our members of Congress, are they truly looking for bipartisan support on bills that they introduce, um, on issues that they're fighting for? 
and, and where truly are those issues where Democrats and Republicans can sit down together and get the nation's work done? We have a lot of challenges, whether it be uh, North Korea um, with ISIS, with um, the uh, farm commodity prices, with our, our transportation um, crumbling and, and needing some desperate attention. We, we have many, many challenges, and we are not going to get those solved without um, a true desire and a willingness for people to work together in Congress. And, and then back home, um, from people actually offering encouragement for their members of Congress to do that or for their uh, state legislators to do that. I, I think this is, uh, you know, it, it, I, I see it as being patriotic uh, to, to encourage bipartisanship and, uh, and compromise. And, and I don't see that at all as um, selling out by any means, but we're, rather that's how we're going to get the nation's work done. Our thanks to Illinois 17th District U.S. Representative Sherry Bustos, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.